Welcome to 1869, the Cornell University Press Podcast. I'm Jonathan Hall. This episode, we speak with Richard Moss, author of the new book, The Picky Eagle, How Democracy and Xenophobia Limited U.S. Territorial Expansion. Richard Moss is Associate Professor of Political Science at the University of Evansville. We spoke to Richard about why the United States stopped annexing territory and why U.S. leaders often declined even profitable opportunities for annexation due to xenophobia and overtly racist rationales, fearing that new territory would bring into the United States large populations they saw as alien in terms of race, ethnicity, language, or religion. Hello, Richard. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Congratulations on your new book, The Picky Eagle, How Democracy and Xenophobia Limited U.S. Territorial Expansion, out now uh, at bookstores all over the world. So congratulations on that. Thank you. Uh, Tell us what inspired you to write the book. Well, uh, way back as a grad student at Notre Dame, uh, I was in the position of many grad students, uh, that is, finishing my comprehensive exams and not really having any idea of what I wanted to do for my dissertation. And so I was thinking about a lot of different things, reading a lot of different books. And um, ultimately, I just kept coming back to this idea of what's the question that seems most important in the world, and yet I still don't really have a good answer to it. Um, And to me, that puzzle was why the US rose uh, to this unprecedented position of global unipolarity in the 20th century, and yet seemed to be doing all sorts of things uh, that were aimed at stabilizing international relations rather than sort of world domination type stuff that most great powers in history seem to be focused on. Um, and so, you know, even though obviously the U.S. did plenty of, of messing around in other countries during the Cold War, um, it also revolutionized international law by banning conquest uh, after World War II. I created a wide network of international organizations aimed at stabilizing international relations. And I kept sort of just coming back to, you know, how different would all of that have been if the U.S. had been trying to conquer territory during World War I and World War II instead of reversing other powers' conquests. And so that question, that lingering impact of this decision uh, that must have been made at some point to abandon territorial expansion led me back further in U.S. foreign policy history to wonder then, well, what explains that that end of U.S. annexation, because, of course, the U.S. was trying to conquer and annex territory throughout the early 1800s. You know, every school child knows the map of expanding from the Atlantic across the continent, manifest destiny and all that. So what explains that shift? Um, And that was really the driving force behind the book. That's fascinating. So so tell us, uh, how do you hope your book will make an impact on your field? Well, there are a few different um, impacts I hope it'll have. Um, One is uh, by contributing to uh, attention to the roles of identities and domestic politics in international relations. Uh, There's a wide and growing literature on both of those. um, And in this area, looking at territorial expansion, uh, I think that's largely traditionally been the domain of sort of hard power politics. um, And yet it's profoundly affected by domestic politics. And you can't go through the case studies in the book without coming out with a strong perception uh, from the history that uh, domestic politics profoundly shaped U.S. territorial expansion. Um, And xenophobia as well, playing a huge role in U.S. leaders 
imposing their own limits on their ambitions. Um, U.S. territorial ambitions, as, as again comes through the book's case studies strongly, were not primarily limited by things outside of their own control. It wasn't that U.S. leaders were deterred by powerful rivals abroad, like many European powers were in various contexts. But instead, they decided that we don't actually want this territory or that territory. And so that the role of xenophobia in particular in generating that decision um, is a very strong finding in the book. A second uh, impact I hope it'll have is in changing our understanding of the origins of the modern international order. Um, as I mentioned a bit ago, um, the U.S. essentially built that international order, and yet its foundations rest on this decision to uh, stop pursuing territory that was rooted in these really selfish sort of uh, ambitions, the, the xenophobic side of things, the self-interested domestic political side of things. These are not like international altruistic kinds of motivations. The U.S. was not you know, coming at its foreign policy from anything that would resemble a moral high ground. Um, and yet a lot of U.S. foreign policy in the 20th century gets cast in that light uh, because the U.S. did things like trying not to conquer other uh, countries, trying to protect other countries, deter their threats from, from conquering them. Um, so much of U.S. foreign policy, at least in, in some parts of the world, um, was profoundly stabilizing during the 20th century. And yet the reasons for that ultimately can be traced back to these really selfish and in many cases racist sort of you know, motivations for U.S. foreign policy in uh, the 1800s. Um, and third, um, another impact I hope it'll have uh, on the field is by revitalizing U.S. foreign policy history as a source of case studies for international relations. Uh, the Cold War has often and always really been a source of case studies in international relations research, um, but pre-Cold War U.S. foreign policy history, not so much. Um, there are a few major contributions here that, that I consciously try to build on, uh, work by Jeff Miser, Scott Silverstone, Farid Zakaria, and some others. Um, but there's not really, you know, there's this kind of prevailing perception that if you study the U.S., you're an Americanist. And so international relations scholars should study other countries when that doesn't really make sense, especially given how profoundly important the U.S. has been to international relations. Um, and so by treating early U.S. foreign policy history as a source of case studies for international relations theory, um, I hope the book will help to encourage other you know, young and budding scholars to, to treat it the same. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, you mentioned case studies. The book has 23 case studies between the period of 1775 and 1898. What are some arguments within the book that may uh, be seen as controversial or may shake up some preconceived notions using these case studies? I'd highlight uh, two in particular. Um, one on the historical side um, is that um, there's no one moment when the United States really abandoned territorial expansion. Um, typically, from a social science perspective, when we look for causes of effects, we typically you know, aim to look at whenever the effect occurred, what else changed around that time or just before that time. But that's not really the case here. Um, when it comes to U.S. history, um, the uh, shift from U.S. territorial expansion to commercial expansion is often cast in the mid to late 1800s, um, and it's often cast as a result of things like the achievement of regional hegemony, which made the U.S. fundamentally secure, and so it didn't need territory anymore, or industrialization, which reduced the value of land, and so 
the U.S. thought it was more profitable then to pursue markets. But of course, the U.S. was pursuing markets right from the beginning. Um, in fact, the, as the case studies uh, make clear, the annexation of Louisiana and Florida had a lot to do with economics and the desire to protect uh, export routes for uh, the Ohio River Valley. Um, but uh, when it comes to explaining why U.S. leaders abandoned territorial expansion, it wasn't as if there was one moment when they all got together and decided, you know what, we're not interested anymore. Um, instead, they confronted opportunities on a case-by-case -case basis right from the beginning. Um, and you can see really similar dynamics at play in 1812, in 1848, in 1860s, in 1898. And ultimately, annexation disappeared from the U.S. foreign policy agenda, um, largely due to the culmination of this long-standing sort of process. Basically, at some point, after U.S. leaders had considered all of their remaining neighbors, they realized that there were no desirable targets left. And so it just sort of dropped off the agenda. Um, and that's something that might seem sort of commonsensical when you hear it, but that is pretty controversial or, or certainly you know, goes against the conventional wisdom when it comes to explaining this, uh, this change in U.S. foreign policy history. Um, and the second thing that um, really probably would have seemed more controversial five years ago or 10 years ago when I started the project um, is the how prominent xenophobia has been as a, as a cause of U.S. foreign policy here, um, given the domestic political conversation of the last four to five years. It probably will seem less controversial now, um, but hopefully we'll still shake things uh, up a bit in terms of um, if you read through some of the case studies in the book, especially the ones uh, dealing with Mexico and the various island territories, Cuba, Dominican Republic, uh, Puerto Rico, and the Philippines in the later chapters, the there's just a, a litany of racist quotations openly avowed on the floor of Congress and widely agreed by members of Congress as representing the consensus opinion of the time. Um, and those profoundly shaped which territories U.S. leaders were interested in annexing and which ones they weren't. Um, and by, I think from our sort of 21st century now perspective, we have a tendency to sort of sterilize our treatments of history and write those things out uh, try to uh, make an argument that everything was rational and based in material factors or that U.S. leaders had more sort of altruistic or benevolent um, motivations than they really did. Um, when in, in these cases, it's very clear the reasons why U.S. leaders didn't want to annex Cuba, say, uh, or southern Mexico or, or whatnot. Um, and so by bringing that back in to the conversation about why U.S. foreign policy gets made, um, I hope that will open some eyes um, and you know, move the conversation forward in terms of the multidimensionality of U.S. foreign policy. Yeah, it's just these two case studies that you mentioned out of out of the twenty-three. I mean, that it is eye-opening to see the xenophobia, the racism, as the one of the central uh, rationales behind U.S. not expanding territory. So it's a you've opened up an, an updated history in, in an amazing way. And we're, we're very proud to be uh, publishing your work. So thank you so much for sharing this, this small overview of the book. Uh, we encourage people who are listening to actually get the book and read um, Richard's full argument. Uh, but it's, it's a very fascinating topic and really a deep dive into the reasons why the U.S. stopped expanding. So thank you so much, Richard. Thanks for having me. And I'm happy to continue the conversation with people after they get a chance to read the book. Oh, that's great. That's great. All right. Uh, we'll talk to you again soon. That was Richard Moss.
author of the new book, The Picky Eagle, How Democracy and Xenophobia Limited U.S. Territorial Expansion. Follow Richard on Twitter. His handle is at Richard Moss. As a loyal listener to the podcast, we'd like to offer you a special 30% discount on his new book. To receive your discount, please go to cornellpress.cornell.edu and use the promo code 09POD. If you live in the UK, use the discount code CSAnnounce and visit the website combinedacademic.co.uk. Thank you for listening to 1869, the Cornell University Press Podcast.